Welcome back to the Interlude Podcast. You are listening to episode 151, A Conversation with Nadiva Monroe. Nadiva is a metastatic breast cancer thriver, and I am releasing this episode on October 13th, which is Metastatic Breast Cancer Awareness Day. Approximately 168,000 women live with metastatic breast cancer in the United States. And despite all of the progress that has been made for research and advances, approximately 43,000 women will die of metastatic breast cancer in the United States this year. There is an unmet need. There is a dire need for more research and funding, especially for metastatic disease. Um, if you're looking for an organization to donate to and support, I highly recommend Metaviver, which supports metastatic breast cancer research. On today's episode, Nadiva shares her story. She was originally diagnosed with stage one breast cancer at 33 in 2014. And right before her five-year cancerversary, she was diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer to her bones. She takes us back to that moment, to those days and how she was feeling and talks about what treatment has been like. She talks about the challenge of not being done with treatment and side effects that do not come to an end and the challenge of continually being on that treatment while still living and thriving. We talk a lot about mental health and survivor's guilt when so many of her friends have died from metastatic breast cancer. Nadiva talks about how she balances those hard moments and the grief with trying to live and the joy and that duality of emotions that is continually present. We touch on financial toxicity, pinkwashing, her thoughts on breast cancer awareness month and the good and the bad of it. We talk about the importance of disconnecting, especially from social media when you need to, and the power of research and the importance of donating to research. It is an absolute honor to have Nadiva here to share her story and her vulnerability and openness really made this conversation a powerful one. And with that, I welcome Nadiva Monroe to the Interlude Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Eleanor Toplinski, and I am a board-certified medical oncologist specializing in the treatment of breast and gynecologic cancers. I started the Interlude podcast as a way to share the journeys and experiences of women who are going through cancer. On this podcast, we talk about anything and everything related to the cancer journey, the treatment, and life after cancer. As a reminder, the information discussed on this podcast is not meant to serve as medical advice. Any specific medical questions should be directed to your healthcare team. Nandiva, thank you so much for being here with me today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you today. Can you give us a little bit of an overview about who you are and a little bit about your breast cancer story? Yeah. So again, I'm Nadiva Monroe. I am a stage four metastatic thriver is what I like to refer myself. Um, I was initially diagnosed with stage one breast cancer back in 2014, five-year appointment with my oncologist right before getting released back into the world. Um, unfortunately, my um, tumor markers came back elevated. So I know a lot of 
oncologists don't use those, um, but she does, and that's what she used annually. And I'm actually glad that she did because she did catch my um, meds with that because that led to my scans and a biopsy. And I was unfortunately diagnosed with stage four metastatic breast cancer to my bones. So that that happened over after the five years. Um, so I'm going on four years here of um, on the same first line of um, treatment. Um, for mess to my bones. Um, I'm a mom, a wife, a sister, <laughs> a friend, an employee. I do all of those things still. Um, so I just try to live my life the best that I can with uh, the diagnosis. So it's kind of where I'm at right now. <laughs> what, what treatment are you on now that you've been on for these past few years? Okay, I'm on Tiscali. Mm-hmm. Uh, every three weeks and one week off Mm -hmm. so for 28 days 21 days on one week or seven days off and then i'm also on i won't is it a romison i always say it wrong um and then also i get exjiva for my bone mets and that's every three months and then i also get the wound palm injection every three months my last scans were in june and there was no evidence of active disease which i'm so over the moon about because my tumor markers Again, we're going up, and so I was really worried about that. And um, and I see why some oncologists don't use them because, but my oncologist did reassure me that she didn't, she wasn't really worried about it right now because they weren't um, doing anything crazy. So she just thought it was something else, and which it was. They started dropping back down, and now they're they're not back in normal range, but they're getting there. So, um, so I'm and, happy about that. You know, we find very often, you know, I check, I don't check tumor markers in early stage disease, although, you know, and I, like you said, it is a somewhat controversial topic. And so people are listening to this and kind of saying, well, you know, should I be getting tumor markers? I urge you to speak with your oncologist about, you know, rationale for you. But, um, you know, when we do check them for patients who have metastatic disease, you know, it's the same thing, like you said, they'll go up, they'll go down, scans remain normal, and anything can trigger those markers, you know, inflammation, getting a flu shot, being sick. So I think it's important to recognize that they're helpful, but they're not the sole tool for assessing response or predicting response. Take me back to that day, you know, you're almost five years, you're at the five-year mark. And now we know, you know, back, we know now that hormone receptor positive breast cancer can recur five, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, but five years just has this, you know, it's such a milestone. Yeah. (laughs) So what, like when you got that news and when you had to go for the scans and the biopsy, what was ha- what was happening in your brain at that point? So in all honesty, I was like planning like a whole, oh, five years. I'm getting released back into the world party, right? <laughs> so, um, and this is around the holidays. So um, all of my treatment and ending plans and surgeries were around November, December uh, when I was initially diagnosed. So all my annuals were mm-hmm. around that time. So I was planning, you know, a party. Mm-hmm. And then I went to my five <laughs> My five-year appointment with my oncologist, she drew my, you know, the annual tumor markers and we talked and all was good. And she wanted me to stay on tamoxifen for a little bit longer. So I left there feeling great. And then of course my, my chart starts dinging in with all of my, <laughs> all of my results. And um, I just knew, like I'm in research as well. Like I do finance stuff for research. So I just, I know protocols. I know about, besides my own, I just, I know how tumor markers work. And I know like what I was seeing wasn't good. Um, and so then I just went 
straight down the rabbit hole and started Googling things and like, how far or how much should I be worried? Because, you know, in those five years, they were always under the average, you know, they never did go up. But again, there was just a time, you know, time, one point in time for that. So um, I just started, I was at work and my coworker was there with me. She was actually a good friend of mine that moved, we worked together for a long time. So she was the first one really to get the whole me starting crying and worrying and taking a break. And um, I started immediately trying to call my oncologist and just trying to figure out like, what do we do next? Like, what is this? I know this is like, not okay. Like, you know, I know this is triggering something. And so um, she did call me back five and we had to talk um, about it possibly being something um, and that I needed to do scans right away. So then that's when I got into the scans um just devastated it was right around um thanksgiving and i'll never forget i went through thanksgiving day still not really knowing she was supposed to get back to me like i did scans like two days before and she's like i won't let you go over and she is great but she's like i won't let you go over the break without knowing so like on thanksgiving she was texting me so i knew like if it was good she was gonna say you're okay and so since she didn't she basically was telling me what they did find um, she was texting me. So then the next day we talked, we chatted a little more. She's like, I want you to do a biopsy. So we did that. And we scheduled that all. That was all in December. And all the while my mom was actually diagnosed, not with breast cancer, it was a different type of cancer. So she was going through all of this was happening, like all at once. So it was like one of the worst. I would say it was probably worse than the first. I know that sounds weird yeah. than the first yeah. diagnosis. Like, just because you're like, you remember what you've already went through. Yeah. Um, even though your arm is more knowledge and things like that, it's just feel like this is like a forever thing and the trauma right going back like thinking about your prior original diagnosis and biopsies and scans I mean I'm sure it brought back so much so what I remember about and why it's going with my oncologist I love her she's a researcher too and um so she was dealing with women under 40 because I was initially initially diagnosed at the age of 33 um I had just um had a pregnancy loss. I was pregnant twins, unfortunately, and they passed. They passed away. I delivered them six. I was six months pregnant with them, and so it went from that to three months later finding my lump and jumping into that whole thing. And so um, I felt really good in under her care and in her, you know, because she just she does research for cancer, you know, for breast cancer under forty. Um, and so I just felt like that she was the best, and she and she still is, and she was up in the mountains with her significant other the day after Thanksgiving um, on the phone with me. She's like, I had to drive out. So she drove 30 minutes down so she can get um, reception so that she can call and talk to me. And, you know, she was pretty positive a lot. I was devastated. She goes, I know this is your worst case scenario, but this is not my worst case scenario by any means, you know, and every time now around Thanksgiving still is just like that time for me is just not. (laughs) it's, It's a lot. So you've been on the medications, the Kiskali, the Eximestane, which is aromacin, the Exciva, and Lupron. Yeah. What has been your experience with early menopause and being on these medications? Because it's not easy. Uh, they have a lot of side effects. They're extremely effective, but they they do come with side effects. So what you know what has it been like for you, and what has helped you manage some of these side effects? So I will say um, when I was first got through the whole of my first um, round of treatment and everything, I asked that question. And I know a lot of oncologists will say, like, you know, you didn't cause this, this, you know, and she didn't really necessarily say that. But I was like, well, what do I do next type of thing? Like, what pathway am I on out here? Like, and there really wasn't one. And I have given that feedback to my clinics 
since, and they actually do have a pathway for patients that, you know, a stage one, like, oh, we're going to cure this, you're out of here type of thing. Mm -hmm. And I thought there wasn't really any pathways for me, like with nutrition and wellness and mental health and holistic Mm -hmm. care. I mean, there really wasn't a lot of pathways of what to do next. And me as a patient and a mom of three, I have three sons, um, that type of thing. I'm a wife, like I'm an an employee, like all those things. It's like, sometimes it gets very overwhelming just trying to manage that. Because once I get on Google, I'm overwhelmed. I'm like, of course, right? You have um, these groups, support groups, but everyone's doing something different. So everyone knows something different. And yes, they could be helpful, but it could also be very overwhelming and stressful. And that's what I found a lot of. And I'm just like, well, should I change my email? Should I do this? You know, and it was kind of like, you know, I'm still living your life type thing. I'm like, okay. And that's the only thing. My only regret for myself is I felt like I didn't do anything in those five years that to improve my health after breast cancer, the first diagnosis. Um, so the second time I was like taking charge, you know, like, so I changed my diet. I lost 50 plus pounds. I added in nutrition, like made sure my nutrition was on point. Like I added in fitness. Like I just made sure that I was doing these other things that maybe I know I didn't do um, after the first one, just because, and not to think that it's going to heal my cancer at all, but just to heal my body in a way that I can feel good and I can handle and manage side effects better. And I will say for me, um, those changes have significantly helped me. Like I was like, I can't be overweight when I have my joints like you know what I mean like yeah. I can't be overweight when I have you know all these things and so um I just found a lot of power and control in that as well and um, I'm still at it like I'm still learning things um so I've implemented some of those things and I feel like that they do help me with my side effects um the mental part of it though is that I feel like I've done all these things and I know in a normal body like I feel even probably better than I feel but since I don't have that because of the medication and the side effects it's like, I just like my body, like, I like, I get frustrated, like, you know, with extreme exhaustion, I still get that. Like they'll say, Oh, you know, extra. so I do that. But then some days I'm saying they're like, literally not wanting to get up. Most of the time though, I still will get up and at least like do a short walk. Like I do something like with myself, but it's frustrating because like my brain is like, so trained now to like, go do this, like yep. get on your telephone, mm-hmm. get on your, you know what I mean? Um, do all these things. And my body, like, no ma'am, like not today. And again, like I will do a lot. Like I still force myself and I'm just still trying to find that balance between am I just, but my body really just needs that much more rest or am I just not wanting to, you know, not getting up or am I being lazy like, type of thing. I'm trying to figure that out still. Um, but that's the frustrating part for me right now. I feel like I really battle. I think what you express is something that so many women struggle with. And especially too, you're still trying to be a mom a partner you're working right like you're trying to do all of these things that take up so much both physical and mental energy and now we've you know you're in menopause you're on medications that cause all of these side effects and so I I think what you've said is really how a lot of people feel and I hope that by people hearing you it kind of validates those moments of feeling tired and not being able wanting to push yourself and not being able to, and I see this, I treat a lot of young women and I, I hear this in my office all the time that people feel almost guilty that they can't push themselves to that level, but you know, it's the medications um, and they, they come with a lot of side effects. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. It's just, that's one of my biggest ones. Um, I would say that those are my, you know, and I do, I still call it, but I get like a lot of brain fog and I do find that my fitness and exercising does help my brain pop like mm-hmm. in mornings and things like that. And I'm like, 
my this and I feel so much better. Everything's clearer. I'm looking at all these spreadsheets and things and everything's moving great. And then I've noticed too, like when there's times where I'm not doing as much, like either my cardio or moving as much as I normally, that I have more brain fog. Like I just feel like it's just like squirrel. Like I can't concentrate. I'm like, you know, yeah. so those types of things are challenging, especially when I am still trying to work, you know, a full-time job and those types of things, which I'm doing. It requires, I mean, it does require an adjustment. Uh, and, you know, it's frustrating that that adjustment has to happen. How do you deal with, you said you were getting scans every six months. How do you deal with any anxiety that may come around or that knowing that you're kind of living in these moments, right? Tumor marker to tumor marker, scan to scan, or maybe you're not doing that, but how do you handle those unknowns that come every so often? So in all honesty, it's been almost four years and I really, I've struggled the most about it this past six months because my tumor markers were up on the rise. So I did talk to um, Ginger about it and she, and I said, you know what, like if we're only using this, this all tool in the toolbox, for my own mental, I don't, maybe I don't want the tumor markers every three months. Like, let's just do them at the six months. And she's very open and listens to her patients and those types of things on those. She said, if it's if your mental, you know, for any reason, if she's concerned, then we will pull more, but she's like, I'm okay with that. Like she mm -hmm. will work with her patients as far as like what, and that's how I kind of advocated for myself because I literally was driving myself crazy with those tumor markers. They were just rising. And that's how I found mine initially. So like to her, I'm trying to explain yeah. that. Like, you know, initially this is how we found my next. Like, yeah. so for me, like, yeah, this is, yeah, these are like rising, but I told myself, and that's why I was like, I'm proud of myself too. Like I've worked through a lot of things. I like go through these challenges living with metastatic breast cancer because um, you can, I can sometimes sit there and just literally go down that rabbit hole, which I was doing. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, you know what, I'm not doing this. Like, and then all of a sudden, like all these other good things started happening for me. Like just as far as like, let's go live life. Like, you know, I got, there's a wonderful organization, Fight Through Flights. Like I got a trip, an overnight trip with them. Like just doing things like that, that came about during this time that was very difficult for me. And a lot of people didn't know it was as difficult for me because I don't, I don't talk a lot. I mean, I share some things when I feel like it and I more so want to educate my tribe is what I call them the people that follow me my friends my family the people that have just you know other people in the breast cancer community like about metastatic breast cancer because a lot of people don't know and understand they're like oh when are you gonna be done and I'm like I'm not like you know <laughs> treatment's not gonna be done you know those types of things and so I don't think a lot of people really um I didn't explain how much I was actually really going through during that time you know like you know and so I was going through it, but then I, like I said, I just live my life. Like my is is um, had to travel for basketball. He's a competitive basketball player um, for in high school. And so this was his last year of competitive ball traveling. So I got on those trips with him. We, you know, we just had a whole good summertime. Like I said, and then the scans were in June. I got my scans done. They looked good. I was like, okay, you know, then I got two more at the end of June and they went down a little bit. And I was like, okay, just keep living, Medina. Like, just keep doing, that's all you can do. Because what I say is how I feel with metastatic breast cancer is like, it's weird because you are literally looking at your own, it feels like you're looking at your own demise while you're alive. Like you're looking at your, your grieving loss of life while you're living. And so you can't always stay in that. Like you can't always stay. But it's also like, I say I straddle the fence when it comes to that. Like, like the toxic positivity versus like being grateful, like living a life full of gratitude and looking at positivity. But also like seeing women die, like my friends, my breast cancer friends that I friended, some have passed away. Like that is, and then you have survivors guilt for that. Like, why am I doing well on one treatment and one person? You know, those types of things are very challenging mentally for me. Like, 
I just get, I feel it and I can see myself. I'm like, oh, when is the other, you know, when is all going to drop for me? Like, you know, when's, when's going to go bad for me? Um, how long is this one going to work? And if it spreads, where is it going to spread? Like, what am I going to have to deal with? And those types of things. And so it's really the, some of the biggest challenges that I have mentally. But. Thank you for sharing that. When you get into those moments and the, you know, when you're feeling the anxiety and the fear, what has helped you come get through that? So, so I don't have like necessarily like a, I've been trying to like more so figure out like ex- just accepting like that this is what it, my life's going to be and just trying to figure out like how to move forward. Like I said, not to always look back and um, trying to figure out like how to change things necessarily because there's nothing that can change. And so all I can do is like really just try to move forward with it. Um, I try journaling. So, so people say, oh, journal, journal. <laughs> I will write. Like, I'm a good, like even me talking to you, I could probably write something better than like talking. Like I get tongue tied, I talk fast, like things like that. So I'm not, when I say I'm not a professional speaker, that's really what I need. Like if I keep writing, so I can't find words, things like that. Um, but like I do, so I did try, try journaling and to me, I had to explain myself like, okay, journaling can still be just like writing one sentence. Like, you know, it doesn't have to be like you wrote a whole page about your day or your whole trip. Like, cause I started trading journal during a trip and I was just thinking I had to write like everything that happened. And I'm like, I don't have to write. Everything. I can write two lines, like, you know, or a line or a sentence. Um, but I have found in the past six months, like journaling a little bit and it's not every day, but just when I'm feeling those, like the skin anxiety, like what's going to happen next? Like, oh, you're going to be okay. I speak positive affirmations. Like my body responds to treatment. Like I'm uh, healed. I'm this, I'm, you know what I mean? So I do that. I'm beautiful. I'm strong. I'm capable. Like when I get mad about like every chemo or anything like that, I'm like, no, like you're still smart. You're, you're sharp. You're just have to find different ways to work through those things now. Like, so I think that was really important for me too. Darling, I think I talk, you know, to my friends sometimes. I don't have, I have a really, some good friends that I can kind of chat with a little bit, but I always feel like I don't want to be the negative Nancy, you know, like, or in the support groups, if I, if it's not a metastatic one, I'm always like, but I also feel like sometimes um, I don't want to be, I, I say the negative, and it's not about being negative, but it's like, yeah, I did all those things, you know, I, I did a double mastectomy, I did 16 rounds of chemotherapy, I did my tamoxifen, um, and my breast cancer came back, you know, and my bones, and people are, it's amazing to me how many women with cancer are still shocked that I did all that and my cancer came back, and I was grateful that my oncologist did explain that to me ahead of time, that there's it can come back. It can be stage four. It can, it can be local. Like she explained all of that to me where I feel like uh, I'm very shocked by some of the people who are like surprised within the breast cancer community and some of these groups that are like, wow, you know? And so that's where I think I feel like not a negative Nancy, but I don't want to be the one that's like, yeah, I did everything that you're probably going through right now. And my cancer did come back. You know, I am that 30 in that 30%. So um, that's always challenging for me when I'm sharing a lot of value in some of the support groups, like, you know, because I just, you know, I don't learn a lot or I'm learning too much, or if I'm in the metastatic ones, people are dying. And so sometimes I just shut off my social media and I just, it's another way for me to focus and not feel all the heaviness, like all the time. And only when I feel like I can take it on, then will I be like back into that? Um, I had a very good friend that actually, um, decided she's in Canada and she decided to like in her, you know, in her life with the maid um because of how much she was going through her message. But kept me like a voicemail um saying goodbye, you know, and she, she 
so devastating and trauma-filled for me. And I'm still having like a hard time like hearing that message from her. Like, you know. You know, thank you for your vulnerability. I, I love that you talked about staying away from social media or coming off social media because you're right, it can be heavy. Um, and I know that the metastatic support groups are wonderful and they're such close and tight-knit communities, but when someone passes away, it's it's really, it's heavy and it's hard um, and you're in their survivor's guilt. And again, I'm, you know, it makes you probably think about your own mortality and, you know, and I think you need, you need your people, you need these people who are going through the same thing that you're going through. Um, but it, it's really, really tough. And so taking a break and stepping away is so important, mm-hmm. um, especially just to protect your mental health and your peace at times. Yes, I definitely agree with that. That's exactly how I feel. And um, even now, I'm not on much at all, because everything is just you know, it's just so much. And when you follow so many people, like I even started like a second page um, because what I was doing is getting off of my social media because I was like, I need a break from all the breast cancer stuff and from the deaths and the community. Every time I sign back on and be like someone passed away, this is just over the years and things like that too. And so I started, I started like another little page, there's nothing on it, but I just started it because I like, I was getting a lot of my um, inspiration and my motivation to like work out and like fitness and food and so I had to like kind of separate those pages so that I could sometimes like go on page and so and to still get like the, my influencers that I follow for like food and um, you know my plant based diet and um, my fitness stuff. So that's sometimes um, I go to that page for those to follow that so I can still get that. Yeah, I so. I actually <laughs> give people that advice all the time. I tell them make oh, okay. a separate Instagram that is you know because. I sometimes have all my patients follow me and I tell them, look, it's sometimes it's a lot and you probably want a break from cancer. Um, <laughs> and have a page where you can go and like get your cancer news or whatever. Right. And then have your personal page where you can look at, you know, whatever you want, right. Food, right. kids, bunnies, whatever. I don't know, whatever <laughs> makes you happy um, because it is hard. It's a lot. So with that, you know, what do you think about I feel like every year breast cancer awareness month, it just, it gets so ramped up and everyone feels like they have to be posting and just nonstop. And so as someone who's living with it every day, where it's so much more than just October, what is your take on it? Well, that is exactly what I take is that I live with it every single day. And so like, um, that's why I feel like when I don't share much, maybe like and when I say I don't share much, like, on my page, like, I share, like, I'll maybe more in my story, like, you know, like, I was really excited about, like, doing acupuncture and my, um, my clinic, they closed down, they had give grants and things like that. So, like, I'll post about, like, oh, I'm getting my, my holistic care, like, whatever, like, I'll post in my stories and things like that. Or every once in a while, if I feel like I just need maybe a little bit more support or more, like, the type of thing, like, yeah, I'll post in my stories and I'll get, like, a lot of feedback from my tribe. Um, so I do share about that, but like you know, during breast cancer awareness month, like I said, last year I got offline most of the month, except for on NBC day, because I wanted to be on there. Like, I'm like, this is me. Like this, like, it's not every day. Like, you, I mean, it is every day for me, but at the same time, like this is my time of month of this whole month, like that I can like scream from the rooftops, like what this is yep. and that this kills and no, my treatment's not going to get it. But also, yeah, I'm doing well. Like that's where I started. It's like, I'm doing well, but my friends aren't like, you know. So I just, I was like last, so this year I got on, on Fridays, I was like back Friday and I just started sharing all the NBC stuff that's in my NBC page. 
post with those facts. And I just, instead of doing it every day, I just did it on Friday. I shared like maybe three or four facts. And I did that a little bit last year too. So um, that's kind of how I've been handling it. And then I took October to like live my life. Like I'm going to go on Friday and I'm going to do a hike, um, which is on my living list to Manitou Incline here in Colorado Springs. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to get um, honored at a gala um, here in Colorado as well. That's going to be on the 21st. I'm going to go see my best friend and she lives out of state. So every year we have a trip together um, in the end of October. And then me and my husband, it wasn't October, but we came back the day before, but we just got back from like a couple's trip, just me and him um, at Tim Myrtle Beach. That was one of the, um, our first times going there. So just living, like I was just like, I'm just staying busy and um, I try to ignore, like I said, the social media stuff. Like I'll hop on because I do feel like I have a little bit of responsibility for my tribe, the people who follow me to give them some information and like that they can take back and that they can share with their friends and family or just even with themselves. Like, and so I do do that. Like if those on the first, I'll say, Hey, it's the first, but you can check yourself. And you know, know, know your body, know your normal. Like I preach that on my page too. It feels best to you during breast cancer awareness month. So um, that's kind of what I've been doing. Just trying to make it fun, trying to do things that I enjoy doing. I say living emphasis on that capital L I V I N G. <laughs> To make sure that you're doing that, like, you know, can't just sit in sadness, can't just sit in despair all the time. And so I just think you can have both, you know, the joy and the grief and laughter and crying and all of that. Like, I do believe. No, I, I love that, you know, the duality of emotions, because it, it is, you can be, you know, grieving and find joy and you can be in pain and still smile. I mean, there's, you know, and it doesn't have to be an all or nothing. And I, I, think it's really important to highlight that you are you should share what you want to share and what feels good to you I think so many people feel so much so much pressure in October and they see like you said they see other people doing it and um I, I think breast cancer awareness month has taken on this life of its own um and you know in one way it's wonderful because it raises money um, and it raises money for research and without money for research, we can't do it and we can't get new drugs approved. And, um, but at the same time, I think, you know, there's so much pink washing out there and people are using the pink ribbon for just promoting, yes. you know, and, their event and without donating money. And you're like, this is, this is exploiting patients. Yes. I had to get myself off because I was on Facebook. And so I don't you know your ads or whatever same as Instagram but it was more of my Facebook I was scrolling through and I'm not on there much at all but I was on there and I just kept getting all of these you know the ads for like you know the t-shirts and stuff I had to get myself off because I was literally like on there like I was first trying to see if they were going to say that they mm -hmm. where they were donating <laughs> and then I did I started getting on there only one of them responded back to me um, everybody else ignored me, but I was just like, um, what, you know, what organization is your money going to like, um, you know, those types of things, like how, what percentage are you donating? Is any of this going to reach or grassroots organizations that help you know, cancer patients directly? And I was just like outright asking a question in their comments. Um, and I've had a few other people that were like liking it, but I, again, I was just amazed at like all of the people that were like, on oh, they're saying like how great that product looks like, oh, I want this t-shirt. Again, but no one asked the question. Like some of the pages I have seen people um, ask the question, and then there's also the Hall of, I don't know if you saw the paint washing Hall of Fame, but like, hey, these people are, you know, but it's true. It's like they're on there, but the one that did respond, they did say, hey, we're, we usually give about this much. I think what percentage and where you're giving it 
on your ad and you, know, you probably get probably even more orders that way, but then you have more money that you can give back. Um, and then I just advise against like a certain places engaged in like metabiters and other places like that that yeah. actually go research um, or again, uh, smaller organizations that help uh, breast cancer patients directly. Like, um, so what else are you doing with that money besides lining your own pockets? And that's not okay. Like, I agree. I was, I was, I was at an event at a birthday party and it was at a place and they had a pink out. They said they're calling this party. It was a party that they called it a pink out party to raise breast cancer awareness. So I reached out to them and I said, Hey, like, what, what does this mean? Right? Like, are, are you donating proceeds? Like, what are you doing? And they basically were like, no, I mean, maybe, you know, and like, they gave me like an answer that was very wishy-washy. And then they said, well, we really just want someone to get a mammogram. I said, okay, fine. But like, how are you going? Are you going to talk about it? Do you have speakers? Do you have pamphlets? And they said, yes, we're going to have lots of materials. And of course they had nothing. Um, and it was an event with a lot of drinking, um, mm-hmm. you know, which pinkwashing also means using a pink ribbon to promote Products, a yeah, product, which is alcohol. Um, and then they said, oh, we're going to donate money. When I asked, well, how much I never, you know, you know, it, it just, the point is that it's everywhere. And companies and brands and restaurants think people aren't going to ask and they are going to come because they think it's pink and it's they think they're helping and so i that's another thing that i do add during october for on my tribe my page to my my people and i do say that i said please hold off on making any donations i will list there we like i'll list like some organizations that have helped me or that like you know of course metaviber and places that um go directly to research so i'll put that on my page like this is pink washing. Like, please do not think by buying something pink or pink ribbon that you are supporting me, you are not. And mm-hmm. that is literally how I tell my tribe. Like, you are not supporting me thinking like, oh, I have a good friend that has better yeah. I'm going to buy a shirt. No, that shirt doesn't help me. I'd rather you either send that $10, even if it's $10, $15, $20 directly to research or to another organization or whatever, or buy me some of my vitamins I need. Like, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> It's an Amazon card for uh, my but that's, that's true also because a lot, even a lot of, like you said, it's important to know where you're donating. So just because you're donating to an organization does not mean that they're going to use that money for good. Um, right. We don't have to name any names, but there are right. better than <laughs> others, um, you know, and my top two are Breast Cancer Research Foundation and Metaviber because right. those two are very they're very transparent with where the money is going. I am running the New York City Marathon and I'm fundraising for the Pink Agenda, which is a subsidiary of BCRF. And they okay. raise money f- and for research for the young adult population. So they really focus on people younger than 45. And what I okay. love about them is there's, they say, if you donate $50, that supports, I believe, an hour of research. You know, So they're very clear about like what your money is doing. How you're um, impacted, making an impact making an impact and so you know i think it's really important to know like again you're buying a t-shirt with a pink ribbon on it no one's going to see that money right exactly and i do say that i'm very clear on that every year mm-hmm. and with the pink washing and i just was amazed at all the people were like oh i love this and no one asked <laughs> they're just like 50 comments like they love the t-shirt you know and i'm yeah. like oh i'm a survivor i'm a survivor i love the t-shirt which is great. Don't get me wrong. Like, there's so many people that they just want to be, you know, that's our community, right? This is what links uh, us as, you know, survivors, thrivers, pre-op, everyone is linked, you know, by this pink ribbon. Yeah. And that's why they come out with like, you know, take control back on the pink and all that in the ribbon. But at the same time, it's like, you can still find someone 
um, to sell those t-shirts or at least put it into those people's ear that they need to do better if they're going to make these t-shirts that they need to be having their pockets go to something that's actually making an impact for these people that you're buying you're giving the t-shirts to so and I, I think and lastly with this you know I don't think people actually mean badly like I don't I don't think they're doing like I think they just don't know they're not educated, they're not educated yeah. on this topic and honestly if you're not in the breast cancer world it's very easy to not I mean I know even some doctors who have no idea what pinkwashing is um and so you know I think part of it not, not in a not in a negative or mean way just if you're not familiar with it you again brand recognition that pink ribbon has more brand recognition than things like Nike I think here on that and that's one thing that again during October at the very beginning I always say that I haven't posted yet but I usually post like I will link some some organizations some of them are smaller and not just like I said I there's some that um, that fight through flights and they help um black women with breast cancer with wellness retreats and um uh, fitness vouchers and mental mental health vouchers and um, you get a two-night stay somewhere, those types of things. Um, I love that organization. And then there's pink, little pink houses of hope. We got, our family got like a five-day vacation in Sedona, Arizona. They took care of everything for us other than getting there. Um, so there's just like other small organizations that make a big difference to people who are going through cancer too. Like, you know, um, to not have to like pay for your family vacation, obviously is yes. extremely helpful. And it is so needed to like go through life especially when you're going through this type of life and seeing finding that joy and finding everlasting memories with your family and getting pictures taken like the gave us like picture like family photo shoot in the desert like it was like just things like that that um then there's one that's here in colorado uh, it's called polite tumor i don't know if you want to share but like tumors um they just give um young women with breast cancer you um like I, when i got re-diagnosed and i was just like the my co-pay for at his poly was insane um, but I was just like really stressed out and they just, she, I had to fill out one, like one, a one page thing. Cause she was like, because when I was a breast cancer, you know, um, a breast cancer patient or whatever the case, she was just like, I hate it filling out. Like, I know I don't qualify for things either. So she was like, I hate it filling out all of these pages to qualify for like grants and help, um, just to be denied. And so she, uh, her application was like literally like three questions um, but you get a five thousand dollar grant. Like it was just she she did it for people who don't qualify for anything. I was like, okay, because I'm working a full time job doesn't mean that I'm not struggling financially with all of these like trying to do holistic care and like all these things that are not covered that are good for my health and wellness. Like you know that I need for my overall wellness. Um, but that was one of the things that she her organization is is like to give these things to people too that don't maybe don't need or don't qualify for like something else like you know, your middle class, it doesn't really qualify. Like we're not dirt poor, but we're not rich or wealthy. And so that's what I really liked about that too. Is like she, that was her experience as well. And that's why her organization is the way it is too. So I love that I one think too. You, you know, it's a really important point is talking about financial toxicity and it's huge in cancer and in metastatic cancer because you're, you have to continue on treatment. Yes, there's, not, no no, there's no end. It's not a six month window. And you know, there's a lot of programs. Again, there's this gap where you you don't you you don't qualify for aid right. because you make above a certain level. Yeah. But your you, you know your income is potentially diminished. People are taking days off. They're not able to work. Some people have to go on disability. And you're in this point where now you you're you can't afford all copays 
the constant copies to the doctors, all of the non-medical burdens, right? Transportation, parking costs, the places, like all of this thing that childcare, if you now have to go to your appointments and there's this big gap. And so it's not talked about enough, um, but it's a huge, huge problem. So like the fact that there are these resources and then like you said, I mean, people can't afford to then go on vacation because they've spent all their money exactly. on. So I think donating to those places is really crucial. And I also love supporting small businesses that are owned by breast cancer survivors. Yes, because a lot of times I, I don't have them, but a lot, oftentimes I do too. Like I go through and like try to like whatever they're set, like I try to support them as well. Like if I can, if I have it. And I've done um, fundraisers for myself as well, like in the past, I like a t-shirt fundraiser for myself that somebody had actually helped me to do with a wonderful old friend of mine that helped me um, basically to be able to do that. And, um, and that was for my, some of my holistic care, like a lot of the vitamins and supplements that I kind of take in the holistic, you know, um, the acupuncture that no longer is covered. So now I'm like, where am I going to do that? You know, since that whole program shut down at my cancer center um, or integrative medicine centers, I'm sorry. Um, and just therapeutic massage is so helpful, yes. especially when you have, you know, all of these side effects and things too. Like I was finding a lot of relief and uh, with getting that regularly. And now that I'll fall to a halt because of finances, you know, not being able to really cover that extra holistic care. Um, but I think is super, like extremely important um, yeah. to our overall wellness. And so, yeah, it's just that, that people don't talk about. Yeah. Like, you know, you may have health insurance, but you have, like you said, all those co-pays and, a percentage of your every scam that you get goes and a percentage of your medication uh, co-pays um, all add up and I'm on just a payment plan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, and you know, yeah. you also, you're still, you have to raise your kids and support them. Yeah. And like, you know, I have one in college and one going to college next year. And yeah. then I have a younger one, but there's, that doesn't stop, you know, um, mm -hmm. all of that keeps going and life keeps going. And again, I'm grateful to be here for it. Um, but it's definitely a challenge. It is. Yeah. And I think, again, just just something that people don't always talk about. So I, I appreciate us being able to to have that conversation, you know, so that we again, and, and that's my goal with these conversations is to educate people. And if even one person kind of maybe thinks differently about it, it can make a big difference. Yeah, I'm glad that you were able to that I was able to um, get on yeah. and talk to you. Um, because I, I do, I have a hard time. Like I'm not ever sure, like, you know, and I hear other, other people talk and share stories and then I'm like, and sometimes I don't agree with some things. And then sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, I agree with that. And then you just never know what kind of like, you know, backlash you'll get and things like that, which I'm not necessarily, I'm not at all worried about. Um, but yeah, just to share your truth and, and just what story you have. And yes, you can be re-diagnosed later, stage four. And you know, that happened to me and that is my story. And, you know, it's not anything negative. Um, it's devastating and, and but I work through it and continue to work through it and I will because I do plan on being for a long time and so I do speak life you know um but again it's I'm also realistic with what what my diagnosis is in, in my future so I have a problem sharing my story at all um I just try to live outside of it too it doesn't have to define you or if it doesn't if it does and for some people it you know, they, they are empowered by it, defining them, right? So everyone's different. And, yeah. and I, think, I think the challenge can be figuring out, is it part of me? Is it one part of me? How do I live with it, beyond it, through right. it, with it, right? I think it's, and everyone's experience and everyone's story is so different. 
Yes, and I respect everyone's story, everyone's viewpoint, and that's what all makes us human too, right? And different, being different, having different feelings, um, handling things differently, um, and just being able to appreciate how other people feel about things too and where they stand in their journey, um, I think is incredibly important. And um, that's why like, I feel like sometimes I feel like I do need to share. Like, I'll make a post. Like, I just post a couple of years back. I have cancer. Like, you know? And then um, I told my story. Like, and if it offends you, like, you can unfollow me. But that's where I'm at with it. Like, you know, I'm metastatic. My friends are dying. This is We don't get enough research. And I think a lot of times people don't understand that if you can help find a cure or help have better treatments for metastatic breast cancer, like, we're all better off, right? Your mom, your sister, your cousin, your daughter, anyone who else who comes along after, if we can put more money into the research. And I think that's a part to get up um, to. We don't need anything else. Like we need to make sure that we're taking care of metastatic breast cancer and making those treatments better. And I am grateful to be on this poly. It's like one of the things when I first got on it, um, my um, oncologist still had patients that were still like on it and follow up like in no progression like you know and I hear now I hear so many people on it and so people having great success the people who've been like had a lot of meds and their other treatments stopped they're, now they're like trying kiss collie and I'm like I, like to me like that was like very impactful that that kiss collie was at some point research um and now you know it's um out there and so like I'm grateful to be on that and doing great on it for now so to speak like great <laughs> manageable <laughs> um so that's why i love about research and i think it's super, i think if we can continue to you know do that and everyone benefits from it and and that's why re donating money and fundraising is so important because it funds the research that all of these drugs scali was in and not long ago was in a clinical trial right, right exactly. now it's this incredible drug that is prolonging life but years ago, it wasn't available. And so I think also one of the things that kind of gets talked about, and I wanted to touch on because I get asked about this a lot is, you know, this recurrence rate and people, you know, the statistic that is decades old about um, 30%. 30% and I she have a video on it, but, um, you know, it doesn't take into account those that that data doesn't account for Cascali. Um, you know, it doesn't account for the newer treatments that we have. It doesn't account for we're now waiting to see if Cascali will be FDA approved for early stage breast cancer to try to reduce recurrence. So I think that that data science evolves, which is incredible. And I think we're seeing so much progress, but 43,000 people a year still die from breast cancer. And that's what, you know, and, and so we need more. We're, we're getting there, but we need a lot more. And I wanted to make this other point, you know, you were talking about sharing your story and one of the reasons that I think it's so important for everyone to share their story is so people, you know, and I think that's the awareness part that hopefully pushes someone to say, you know what, I am due for my mammogram. Um, you know, we know that black women are at 40% higher risk of dying from breast cancer. Yeah. And there was a study published earlier this year, and it kind of looked at should black women and different rates and ethnicities as well, but start screening at the same age as white women. And they did all these models and they actually found that if you start screening the average population, so you've average at 40, okay. black women should actually start screening at 32. I was 33 when I was diagnosed. And, and I think that's so powerful. And I, when I give talks on breast cancer screening, I always talk about, you know, really 
doing that risk assessment. And unfortunately, it's not a one size fits all approach anymore. Right. The problem is insurance companies sometimes don't want to pay for those early mammograms. But I think things are changing. I think we're recognizing that, you know, again, it's not a one size fits all. We really need to individualize everyone's risk and try to start screening, you know, depending on the risk. But, you know, and I so I think you sharing your story is so important because everyone should share their story. You have so much to offer and. And like you said, everyone's story is different, but if it pushes one person to, you know, donate $15 to Metaviber or make their appointment to get a mammogram, that is incredibly powerful. It is. And that's where I feel like I held my, a little bit of my power. I feel like that it, it might, it, my story is a gift um, to give. And like I said, I, sometimes I just felt like, oh, I'm not the best speaker. I can't find my rags and I don't know all of the medical terminology and like all these things when I see people who are very well versed in, you know, professional speakers. That's why I was telling you, like, you know, that's, not that's their job, that's right? That's their right, job. Right. That's the difference. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you are incredibly well spoken. Um, and I loved, loved speaking with you. Um, but I think you have a lot of power in your words and I, you know, continue to use them. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I will, I will, I absolutely will. So I hope that this will help somebody. I don't know how many clips you'll take out, but yeah. Whatever is uh, will be helpful for you and what you need um, for what you're trying to do. Um, I hope that this was helpful. And if you ever need me, I'm here. <laughs> Thank you. And if people do want to connect with you, where can they find you? Um, so on Instagram, I am Coco underscore Queen underscore 81. And on Facebook, I am Shani Elasia. So S-H-A-N-I-E-L-A-Z-I-E-R. Um, my pages are private, but if you, uh, I let people on, I just don't want this getting all buddy on there, but yes, if you want to request me, you can find me that way. Um, yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you again so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you all for listening to this conversation. I hope that it gave you a little bit of a glimpse of what it is like to live with metastatic disease balancing the hurdles and the challenges and the very difficult and heavy moments with the joy of living. And again, it is that duality of emotions that is so pervasive. If you want to learn more about metastatic breast cancer, there are a number of organizations to check out. But to start with, I would recommend and follow Metaviber on social media because they have been sharing daily facts this month. That is a great way to get started and to learn more. And as we discussed, Metaviber is an incredible organization to donate to as well. You can find Nadiva on Instagram at Coco underscore Queen underscore 81. And as always, you can find me at Dr. Japlinski on any social media platform. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast or any others and you have a minute I am so grateful if you can take a minute to leave a rating and review for the interlude podcast on Apple Podcasts, as that is a great way to help me grow the show and to bring it to new listeners. Thank you all for being here, and I will see you soon.